Louise Bedford here. Just before we kick off with today's show, I wanted to let you know that for one week only, you can get up to 84% off a selection of my most popular trading education products available through tradinggame.com.au. Make no mistake. Your financial future is in your hands. So check out the audios, videos, and study courses that I have available at tradinggame.com.au. Now's your chance to develop your skills as a trader for up to 84% off, but only for the next week. Let's get on with the show. I think blockchain is here to stay. I think cryptocurrencies in a certain format are here to stay. Um, it's hard to say Bitcoin, Ethereum, all these, you could, you could make many claims. I mean, the first computer companies, um, none of them are around anymore. So you don't know what technology is going to do. And I think what's probably going to happen is um, blockchain will be integrated into corporate life. You know, financial services is going to incorporate blockchain into their infrastructure and operations. It's not going to be you buy this coin and it's going to be the, the next best thing. It's going to be they're going to invent a coin. They're going to integrate it in their system and it's going to work. I think that's probably the most likely thing. Sovereign nations are going to come up with their own cryptocurrency, love them or hate them. Hi, this is financial journalist Caroline Stephen, and this is Talking Trading. Our guest today is smart as a whip and knows how Wall Street works. Kirk Chisholm is a wealth manager and principal of Innovative Advisory Group over in the USA. And Kirk's mission is to help other people understand the mysteries at the financial markets. And in this interview today, Kirk does just that. Kirk is also the host at the Money Tree podcast, which Chris Tate recently appeared on. And if you haven't listened to Kirk, he is a fantastic podcast host. Today on Talking Trading with him, we discuss risk management, index trading, and Bitcoin. And next week, we have part two of Kirk's interview. And first off today, Louise Bedford shares psychological insights in mind power with three different ways to stave off that beast of depression. Here she is. I was asked by a trader the other day, how can they stave off depression? I think there are so many things that you can do to stop that gradual falling into the abyss that I'm sure you've experienced at some stage in your life. And given that trading is such a solitary profession that if you haven't felt that about the trading arena by now, then eventually you will. So it's a great discussion topic. I'm not actually talking about clinical depression here. I want to draw a distinction. Clinical depression is a chemical imbalance and you will need to seek some help to be able to overcome that. You may need to do some talking therapy like cognitive behavioral therapy or even investigate some chemicals to be able to help balance you chemically and improve your own mood. What I'm talking about is the type of depression that everybody has experienced from time to time in their life. Now, there are some specific things that you can do so that you can improve your own mood and you can do them tonight. One of the things I suggest you do is before you go to sleep, have a think about 
What did I see today? And what did I hear? The idea behind this is to get you within your own body so that you can experience that mindfulness that comes from being in touch with your own senses. The other thing I'd like you to do before you go to sleep is to think, what am I grateful for? There is a host of research that says gratitude is the basis for improving your mood. Thinking about the things that you have, the friends and family that you have around you, the things that you have actually achieved in the day, finding things to be grateful for can really assist your mood. And one more thing to ask yourself is, have I stepped closer towards living my ideal life? If you have a mission as your life mission, then that can be a fantastic thought because if you're moving closer to your mission, you'll definitely feel more fulfilled. If you don't have a life mission, you really do need to get some objectives down as a trader at least. What are you looking to achieve in this life as a trader? And every day, take one tiny incremental step towards living that ideal life. They are some simple things that you can do to stave off depression, but I do want to encourage you to seek support. Find people who care for you. Find trading buddies that know where you're at and keep listening to Talking Trading. Continual positive input is what it takes to give yourself out of a little rut like this. I've been there. I know exactly where you're coming from. Do you know the birth of Talking Trading was actually because a friend of mine said, can you take your eyes off yourself for one minute and think about how you can serve other people? And with that line of thought, I thought talking trading would be a fantastic idea and luckily Caroline agreed. I just feel so blessed and I have so much gratitude that she is in our life. So use those little tidbits about how to get out of a depression or how to stave off a depression because we need you. We need you at your best. We need you doing your best work. We all benefit. Entire communities can change because one person puts their foot down and says, I am going to move forward. And that person can be you. I want to see you living the trader's life. Well, hello. I am Peter O'Brant, and I just want to say that I listen to Talking Trading, and I enjoy it. And I expect that you do too. Kirk Chisholm is a wealth manager and he's principal of Innovative Advisory Group. Kirk is a market veteran with over 20 years experience and his mission is to help other people understand the mysteries of the financial markets. Kirk is also host at the Money Tree podcast, which Chris Tate recently appeared on. Kirk, hello and welcome. Thanks for coming on to Talking Trading. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. You refer to yourself as a wealth manager who thinks outside the box. Can you define your view of risk management? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, so we look at risk management very different than I think most other advisors do. <clears throat> you know, the industry itself. It's reassuring. Has, yeah, I know. You don't want to. You don't, you don't want me to spill all the secrets of the industry here. It might not be a good thing. Um, but I think you know the industry uses this 
risk management technique of diversification. You know, they think, hey, you just diversify and everything will be great. And I think what, what they don't talk about is why that works or why it should work. Now, that theory came about from some studies that were done in academia and Wall Street got a hold of it and they said, hey, this is great. We can sell more mutual funds. So it, it actually wasn't meant for uh, use in real life, but it, it did. And I think even in theory, I think there's a lot of validity to it. The problem is, is that people don't understand why it should work. Now, it should work if you have a bunch of non or low correlation assets that uh, are unrelated to each other that should work in the real world. The problem is uh, most people diversify and they don't understand that pretty much most things are correlated now. So you're not getting the diversification that you think you're getting. And if you don't believe me, look at any of the big market sell-offs in the last 12 years. Look at 2008, look at March of last year, um, look at a few other times, 2015, uh, 2000, I think it was the end of the year, 2017, we had similar things. So basically what happens is, um, take 2015 as an example, the oil market plunged. It was from over $100 a barrel down to in the 20s. And so what happened is it started with oil. Oil crashed from 100 down to the 20s. <clears throat> well, oil crashed. What else is a, a natural effect of that? Well, oil companies are going to get negatively affected. So people start selling oil stocks. And then they think, well, actually, these companies might be bankrupt. They start selling oil bonds. Well, if you know, there were three three days in a row, three high yield bond funds closed up because they couldn't. The bonds are not liquid, so they couldn't liquidate as much as they needed to when people were selling out. So they had to actually close the fund and liquidate it slowly over time. Um, so what happens is you can't sell your high yield bonds. What do you do? well, I'm going to go sell my corporate bonds. I'm going to sell my treasuries. I'm going to sell my Apple stock. Mm. Now, those stocks had nothing to do with oil, mm. right? Or those bonds had nothing to do with oil, but it's a liquidity issue more than a solvency issue. And this is what happened in 2008. It happened in 2015. It happened in 2017. It happened last year. And you think about all these companies that, I mean, think of like an Amazon or a Zoom or some of these tech companies that should have done really well, but they still crashed. Gold crashed, cryptocurrencies crashed because it's not about the validity of the investment. It's about the interconnectedness of the financial system. And because of that interconnectedness, you can't, when you've got billions and trillions of dollars sloshing around and you have to sell because everybody else is selling, where do you go? And so the diversification that worked in the 70s and 80s, 90s, it worked because the system was constructed differently. Now the system is actually kind of messed up because of all this um, correlation that people have interconnected with the um, institutions because the institutions are what correlates the assets. And so you're uh, saying institutions it, control the money in the markets? No, they're not. It's not a deliberate attempt. It's just it's. Think about it this way, just like we talked about, right? If you need to sell, then you just sell whatever you have to sell. Well, there's thousands of institutions out there that are getting the same orders. It's not their job. To, they're not manipulating the system. It's just the system is set up so that, I'll give you an example, uh, indexing. Index be became a big thing because in 2008, uh, people found it was just too hard to pick stocks. 
all the deep value investors were, were picking some of the bankrupt mortgage uh, companies because, hey, they were a good value until they weren't, until they were worth zero. Uh, but they, a lot Sub-prime. of people found it was, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just saw that movie, The Big Short, the other day, classic movie. It's one of my favorites. Um, and, you know, if, if you think about what happened back then, people found it was just too hard to pick stocks. Mm-hmm. And frankly, it is because the system is not based around price discovery and fundamentals anymore. Uh, so it's easier just to index. Yes. Forget the indexing outperforms, you know, conversation that people have and say, well, indexing is great because, you know, it's low fees and all this. Let's remove that argument. It is just easier to put money in an index than try to pick stocks and pick winners. That's the reality. Um, and so when everybody's indexing, you create this problem that nobody talks about. And you think it's like over 50% or 60% of, of funds are being indexed. And so when you think about that, that creates a problem so that indexes are moving the market. So who are the biggest stocks in the index, right? The FANG stocks, a few others. Well, if you're indexing, money goes into those stocks, which boosts up the price of those stocks. Well, those stocks go up, so more people put money in them, which boosts the price of the index. So it's this positive reinforcement loop that causes it to go higher. Well, it also works in reverse when it goes down. And so that's how the markets work. It has nothing to do with fundamentals like it used to. It used to work in a more fundamental-driven way where there was price discovery, but now there's not even price discovery. So there's a lot of issues that kind of come along with this infrastructure that is built and you can't disconnect it. Uh, but there will be a point in time where that will tilt the other way and where price discovery will come back into um, into true form. But right now, that is, that's not the way things work. Can I just, can we just shed some light on the industry that you've been in? Because a lot of people don't understand the fund management industry. Fund managers do, like you say, try and hug the index. If they do outperform the index, they get a small to moderate <clears throat> bonus. If they seriously underperform the index, they get fired. That's a consequence, right? Yeah, I think you must have read one of my posts about. Uh, you bet. It's yeah, it's um, we call it career risk, and it's something that nobody talks about. You know, they they all talk about how fees are the reason that uh, fund managers underperform, but um, that's actually a, a, only a small part of it. The way I think about it is, um, if you give me a manager that's going to generate thirty percent returns a year, I will happily pay them five percent a year. You know, think about it. You're, you're netting 25. It doesn't matter what the fees are. It matters what your net is. And what's a problem is fund managers are pretty good. You know, they're, you look at Peter Lynch, you look at some of these people, Warren Buffett, who doesn't run a fund, but, you know, in a certain sort of way he does. Um, but you look at people like that, that you can see their performance, you can see how they've done and, um, and active management works out really well. The problem is, so in the in the 90s, in the 80s, and 70s, when mutual funds were a big thing, um, it was really important to find active management because there weren't really any other, other opportunities. And you had good managers and you had bad managers and they were all over the map. Now, because so many people are indexing and because indexing is such a thing, you can't afford to make big mistakes. So a lot of active fund managers actually own indexes in their fund to get it as close to the index as possible. They call it index hugging. Um, Index hugging. Yeah. But think about the, the way I think about it is what are the incentives, right? Think about Wall Street is built on incentives. What are the incentives around 
being an active mutual fund manager? Well, the incentive is if you do really well, you'll get a nice bonus and not a huge bonus, but a nice bonus. And people will like you and you get to speak at events and, you know, great, you know, you're popular. <laughs> but if you miss in a significant way, you get fired. Yeah. Well, hedge funds make lots of money. If they win big, they make a lot of money for themselves, you know, because they get two and 20 in many cases. So their incentive is to make upsize returns. And if it goes to zero, well, so be it. They'll start another fund. But if you're an employee of a big fund company, your job is to not get fired. Your job is to stay in the herd, if you will, right? <laughs> Don't go outside the herd because the ones outside the herd, that's where the wolves get, right? Or the lions get them. Stay in the herd and you'll be safe. So it's, it's not their fault. The incentives line up to keep them yeah. in the herd. So I can't blame them. I know a lot of them. A lot of them are really smart and they could probably outperform the index every single year, but they can't afford to take the chances where they're going to lose big and then they're out of a job. It's, it's not worth it for them. You're a big fan of alternative investments. Can you define what they are and say why you're a fan? Yeah. So alternative investments, uh, a lot of people think of alternative investments as like hedge funds or private equity or venture capital. Uh, and that's one form of alternative. We look at alternatives of, as anything that's not a security. So I don't even actually look at hedge funds as an alternative because hedge funds invest in securities for the most part. So you basically just have a mutual fund that can go long and go short and do some other things, but it's basically a mutual fund. I don't look at that as alternative. Alternative are things that are basically investing outside the market. So things like a horse, rental property, company stock, fishing rights, uh, investing in you know private mortgages, tax liens in the US. There's so many different things you could do um, if you're an expert, you probably know where money could be of good use to you. And I look at that as an investment. Alternatives are a great way to invest. Um, there are upsides and downsides, of course, right? So if you're investing in a piece of real estate, it's more illiquid than investing in a share of stock, right? A stock that shares, you know, trades every, every minute of every day. Whereas real estate, it might take you a month or three months or six months to sell a property. So it's more illiquid. Now, if you're buying, that's to your advantage. If you're selling, it's, it's to your disadvantage. It's most right? massively, right. Right. So it's, it's one-sided. So it's great if you're buying. And it's great if you're in a buyer's market and you're buying, you know, like you, you have to time it right. If you ever need to sell really quickly, you're going you're gonna to get burned. At the time of recording this interview, Bitcoin's retraced a little. I know this is a bomb of a question. Is Bitcoin here to stay? Uh. I think blockchain is here to stay. I think cryptocurrencies in a certain format are here to stay. Um, it's hard to say Bitcoin, Ethereum, all these, you could, you could make many claims. I mean, the first computer companies, um, none of them are around anymore. So you don't know what technology <laughs> is point. going to do. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people said dot-com companies, hey, if you don't invest in pets.com or store.com or whatever their dot-com they had, cars.com. I, I don't know all the ones that were bankrupt, but they, you know, all of these companies, they said, well, if you don't invest in these, then, you know, all these brick and mortar companies are going out of business. What they didn't understand was that, you know, all these brick and mortar companies can just start their own website. Like it, the, the, having a, a website company is not a company. Having a company that has a website is different. And I think what's probably going to happen is, um, blockchain will be integrated into corporate life. So 
um, you know, financial services is going to incorporate blockchain into their infrastructure and operations. It's not going to be you buy this coin and it's going to be the, the next best thing. It's going to be they're going to invent a coin, they're going to integrate it in their system and it's going to work. I think that's probably the most likely thing. Sovereign nations are going to come up with their own cryptocurrency, love them or hate them. Um, there'll always be people who are interested in, in Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and, and coins like that. So I, I, I'm a big fan of, at the moment, of cryptocurrencies. Right. I think it's an asymmetric risk trade. It's hard to argue that you could put up a dollar and lose a dollar and you could make $20. Mm. I, I don't know how you can find, you, I, give me a casino, uh, any casino, and give me an, an infinite amount of money and I will spend it all on that, on those odds. I mean, <laughs> you just, you don't get that anywhere else. So it's hard to argue that element of cryptocurrency. I don't know if this is your field, but is Bitcoin a threat to governmental power? Um, yes and no. I think, um, the idea of it was right. It's to, it's to DBC decentralize and to create independence in a system, in a world where systems kind of control things. So I think that's a bit of a, a problem. Um, and I think that, um, you know, these governments are, they're not stupid. The central banks are not mm. stupid. They're coming up with their own cryptocurrencies in a way that's going to um, keep their power. So I, I, I think that they see the, um, they see the challenges that, that are facing them and they know that they can't get rid of them because countries have tried and they can't. It just sends it underground and people are still going to use it. So you can't, they, they can't um, uh, make it illegal. Uh, so it is a threat to government power, but, you know, quite frankly, um, money goes where it's treated best. And Ooh. if you, this has always been the case with currencies, right? Think of silver, right? When the U.S. had 90% silver in their coinage. Well, as soon as they got rid of that, all of a sudden people started acquiring and pocketing all of that old currency and saving it. Right. You don't find that in, in circulation anymore because right. people have found it and then they keep it because it's silver. It's not right. worth a quarter. It's worth the quarter's worth of silver, which is worth a lot more than the quarter. So what, what this tends to happen over time, you look at ancient currencies where they debase the currency. They they tried to um, they tried to edge out the edges. They carved off some of the edges of the gold coins. Uh, and they've used different techniques to stop that or people would they'd make it out of different materials. So now we all use paper and at some point we won't even have paper because it'll all be digital. So I think, um, yes, it's a threat to governmental power, but I think governments are really good at finding ways to keep their power. So, yeah. <laughs> you know. And that's all for Talking Trading today. Stay tuned next week to hear part two of Kirk Chisholm's interview as we talk on renewable energies. I'm Caroline Stephen. Happy trading. As always, if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcast and make sure you give us a big fat five-star review. You'll also notice that Talking Trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertisers. This is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at tradinggame.com.au. So until next week, happy trading. 
The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation.